0: Good morning again. Turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Psalm 53 and Psalm 14. Psalm 53 and Psalm 14. We'll look at Psalm 53 first here in just a minute. Let me remind you a couple of things while you're looking for those verses and chapters. Let me encourage you to, if you have not had the opportunity to turn in your missions commitment for this coming year, March we go March to March on our missions we appreciate that the girls say we got about 200 in more last Sunday. So if you haven't had the opportunity to do that, make sure you do that today. You can use a piece of paper, you can use an attendant slip. Just put in the back missions. We'll appreciate that. And our goal was 3,000, so we're a little under that. So if you have, if you've already done that, great. Also, let me mention also to our dog class. I mentioned this one again for camp. Uh, this year, we're going to encourage you to either just give an offering to camp. The money you would have spent at the bake-off, which is where people make stuff and you pay like bunches of money for stuff that you wouldn't pay that much for. Just kind of designate that money. Just That's what my wife and I did last week. We just gave the money that we decided to give that we would have spent on calories we don't need. That was said special, and she's not even in here. <laughs> she's here somewhere. I brought her to church. Anyway. <laughs> So let me, have, or you can do buy a block. Buy a block is a dollar amount that equals one day of camp. Up, it's about twenty, about twenty-five bucks a day. So if you want to pay for two days of camp, this benefits again the campers of our church. And before you know, it, camp will be here. In the states are the bulletin. It'll be here before you know it. So you, I don't have any kids that are going to camp. I don't either. I have some grandkids, and so you help. Really, we're helping the parents. That's what it boils down to. And it's a spiritual investment. So many decisions are made at camp that are lifelong and lasting. And so let me encourage you to be involved in that also. That will be open for just a little bit. Now the missions thing, I think we're going to cut off this week because, believe it or not, Saturday is May 1st. Good news, bad news, right? And so we'll give the report to church. So let me encourage you along those lines. Now, I appreciate your attentiveness not only to me, but to Pastor Rice. Also, we have guest visitors. They're always telling, I always ask them. I'm not bashful. I said, do the people listen and pay attention? He goes, they did really well. Now, he's lying to me because we're going to lunch. Well, not anymore. I'm making him go to lunch, Brother Rice. I did, I'll give you this little report. Now, I'm still not 100%, but this, I decided this week I haven't had a Jace Pizza in seven years. And, I, and my wife, it's not her favorite. So she wasn't home, so you know what I did? I went to see Jay. He's got a bunch of kids. I've invited him on Easter many times, him and his wife and his kids. Anyway, I got a small pepperoni pizza. I ate the whole thing myself. Now, it took me an hour and a half, but I didn't spit any of it out. I didn't choke. Boy, it tasted great. To me that's an interesting person. Thanks for your prayers. I'm still gradually making improvements. I'm not there all the way, but certainly not having a feeding tube and able to eat, drink, I could even take those big horse pills, which is actually vitamins for me. I don't I'm not I'm not on a lot of medication, <clears throat> believe it or not. So I can swallow pills. But it's not some days are better than others, you know what I mean? So thank you for your prayers and I appreciate that. That's kind of where I'm at, at least at this point, in what that pizza tastes good. I ate the crust and everything. I almost ate the box. <laughs> but I didn't. But it was good. Psalm 53, Psalm 14. So I appreciate your attentiveness, listening, so I want you to listen really good today. And when we get to the second point, really listen good because it's really a lesson, but it's really good. But I had to really study myself a little bit to make sense to me. And if it doesn't make sense to me, it's not going to make sense to you. Probably, I say that respectfully, not to insult your intelligence. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it has to make sense to the preacher. And you know what the preacher's job is? To make the sense of the scriptures known. That's what our job is. Period. So, <clears throat> Psalm 53. Now, in Psalm 53, we'll read it in just a moment. It's only, it's only six verses. so we, I can handle that. The inscription to this psalm does not give us any historical background of what the psalm was written about. Sometimes that is helpful to know the background, or we might say the context. But I think there's a clue in the first verse. Notice in Psalm 53, just the first verse for just now. First, as you know in your Bible, it says, Psalm 53, the fate of the fool, at least in my Bible, then it says, a psalm of David. So David is writing this psalm, which psalm means song. I'd like to hear this one be sung. Verse 1. The fool has said in his heart. Remember in the Bible it says out of the heart comes the issues of life. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and they have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. We'll get to the rest of it in just a minute. But The word fool is from the Hebrew word nabal. Can you think of a guy in the Old Testament with that name? In a, I even read about him this morning accidentally. And Nabal, the Bible says these words about him. He was a churlish, C H U R L I S h churlish and evil man. So I don't know if his mom and dad named him that. You know, they say names are significant. I don't know if his mom and dad named him that thinking he was going to be that way. I'm not sure about that one. Or if it became like a nickname. You know, my little brother and I, we had nicknames for each other. And you know, we have, and you have nicknames. We all have nicknames. And so I don't know if it was a nickname because that's what he was from a kid. We don't know, but it's kind of interesting. He was a foolish man. He was foolish because he had a nice wife and he mistreated her. In 1 Samuel 25, you can look it up later. Please don't look it up now. Uh, he also mistreated David. David, if you go back and study Nabal and David, David, King David was helping him with his sheep, and he mistreated David. So he was churlish. He was, we might use the word <coughs> stupid. I mean, that, says so, that word says so many things, doesn't it? It's, it's borderline rude, I guess. You don't go up to people and tell them that. But in your mind, you think, that guy is stupid, don't you? I, do. I never say it. I think it. Nabal was stupid. He was a fool. <clears throat> and so I think maybe David, it's a psalm of David. We know that. Maybe David was thinking a little bit about Nabal when he wrote this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God The second feature about this particular psalm, it most obvious, is that it's almost identical to Psalm 14. Let's read the rest of Psalm 53 first. Then we're going to read Psalm 14 right after it. And if you don't have your Bible with you, I'll read it for you. Let me encourage you to bring it if you have one. But if you don't, I'll read it for you today, no problem. And if you're listening at home, open your Bible, or you're watching at home, I should say. If you're listening, you can still open it. We read verse 1, so let's look at verse 2. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat at my people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God. There were they in great fear when no where no fear was. For God hath scattered the bones of, of him that encampeth against thee. Thou hast put them in shame, because God hath despised them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion! When God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Now hold your place there. Go back to chapter 14. Now remember, these, these psalms... Are very much, except for a few words, minor words, they're pretty much identical. So I want you to think of this. We read read the 14th, and it's only seven verses. It also is a Psalm of David. Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, they have done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. Sound familiar? The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy, and there is none that doeth good, no not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they do eat bread and call not upon the Lord? Then were they in great, in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Again, if, you can study this later at home, but if you look at these, they're very much identical, except for a few minor words. Now. We believe the Bible is God's word. We all would agree to that. And we believe that this church, and many churches do, just not all of them, that the King James Bible is God's word preserved in us for English. Let me throw this thought to you. Maybe you never thought about it. Why do we use the King James? Let me ask you this. Most Christian people believe that God inspired the Bible in the original form. We don't have the original. And God has said in his word that he would preserve his word. Now, does it make Let's let's use our noggin first a minute? If it took about 14 or 1,500 years to write the Bible, that a long time. And 45 or 40 different human authors. So God went to all the trouble. I'm talking as a human being. If he went to all the trouble to do that, wouldn't it seem logical if God made everything? He's all knowing you think you think he'd just say, well, I'll, I'll just leave it with the man to figure it out. Don't you think he would preserve it because it's important? All we know about God, all you know about him is from this book. You don't know him. You've never seen him. I haven't either. We've never seen Jesus, so all we know about him is what this book says. You think it's important? So God has preserved his word so that we can have it. Matter of fact, it says in Psalms 12, 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times Thou wilt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So it's simplistic, but it's not simplistic. So we believe God has preserved his word and we have it. We're fortunate because we're English. When I was in Portuguese, and you speak Portuguese, I know it's like Spanish, but it's not identical. It's in English for us. And so God has preserved his word for us. That's part of the issue here. So what I'm saying is, why, if God did that, and he used men to write them. But if he did that, why in the world would he have two psalms almost the same? Now, if you opened your songbook and there were two different places where you found amazing grace, you'd say, somebody at the printing place messed up. Wouldn't you You'd say? We, we wouldn't rip it out of the book. We'd say, somebody goofed up. But why? The, the Bible is God's word. So why is it here twice almost the same? We believe it's inspired by God. The Holy Spirit inspired the writers. The Bible says it this way. Holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit inspired him to write. He used them as human instruments. But why would God lead David to write this down twice? Well, I don't know the, all the answers. Here's one answer. <clears throat> the foolishness of man never changes. And so to me, God is emphasizing the fact of a foolish person. Now, we've all been foolish about some things, but in the context, it's talking about relation to God, saying there's no God, they're a fool. I heard an old preacher, he's long gone. He said one day he got on this airplane, and he sat beside this guy, and he's, he's and the guy basically told the preacher, without knowing who he was, he I don't believe in God, and he said, you know, I just read about you in the Bible today. Now, this was an old preacher, you know, he's... And, he, and the guy said, You did? He goes, Yes, I read your name in the Bible. You know what it says you are? A fool. Uh, of course, you're going to pop an old man. I mean, really, think about it. Isn't that what it says? The fool has said in his heart, That's where the issues of life come from. There's no God. It's a very simple verse, a very simple statement, a very simple truth. So, you know what? Adam and Eve were foolish, weren't they? Now, they didn't say there was no God. They knew better because they, they saw him and know him and walk with him. Not like we do today. We walk with him, but not like they did. The foolishness of man. People today, why do people get so bent out of shape at Christmas and Easter? If Christ is just the guy, what's the big, what's the big fuss? If the Bible's full of mis- mistakes and errors and contradictions, what's the big fuss? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out. So I believe, now maybe that's my my two cents. I think one of the reasons is God is emphasizing the foolishness of man and the nature of man has not changed since Adam. Adam's actions were foolish, what he did, and what his wife did were foolish. But people today, don't believe in God. Isn't it evident in our society? There's no fear of God because they don't believe in him. They can't see him. They can't analyze him on a piece of paper. Well, good luck trying to analyze God because he's smarter than you or me or all of us in this room put together there. He's smarter than all of us. He's all knowledge. Not like some people act like they know everything. They don't. They're foolish. But in the context, you say the fool has said in his heart there is no God. So I want you to think with me for just a moment. I think there are two lessons that we can learn from this. Now, there's probably more, but I can't tell time. And plus, Pastor Rice is going to be preaching at 11. I think the first lesson, number one, that we learn from this, these two psalms, is obviously indicated by the first verse of each one, the declaration of the fool, there is no God. The fool lives as if there is no God, our society today. You don't have to answer to him. He didn't exist. You don't have a judgment day coming someday, so they live and do whatever they want. I'm telling you the truth. At least smile at me. (laughs) I'm right. He, the fool, lives as if there is no God. That's part of the understanding of the crazy things that are going on today. That's not the total understanding. Just do what you want. Do what's right in your eyes. You die, and that's it. And they're thinking the problem is it's a put in the man who wants to die. And the Bible even talks about a guy in the New Testament who said, I'm going to build me a bigger barn, a bigger place, and I'm going to make more money. And the Bible says, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. So the fool acts like there's no God, and he acts on his own convictions or what he thinks is right. Do you know there was a time in the Bible when the Bible says, Every man did that which was right in their own eyes. That's about where we are, isn't it? Christians accept it, hopefully. Well, I think it's right, so I'm going to do it. I think it's right, but that's what people think. So when you don't when you don't believe God and recognize Him, you go down a slippery slope, and it's not good. <clears throat> this false conviction is is moral, not intellectual, because it's something that comes from his heart. It says, it said in his heart, verse one. Because you know what it boils down to? He doesn't want anybody to tell him what to do, especially God. That's really that's. You cut all the garbage, It's exactly what it means. He doesn't want God to tell him what to do. And you know what's sad? There are many Christians who have the same attitude. I don't want God, you you never say the words out loud. You don't want God's word. God's word tells us what to do. That's why you should read it every day. I don't, you know, I remember every kid when they were home, I can't wait to get out of this house so I can do what I want. I'm sure I said that three or four times, maybe 300 times. I can't wait till I graduate high school. I'm going to get them. I'm going to do what I want. Every kid says that. Then they get out on their own. They realize what the real world is like, huh? They say, I wish I was home again. We're going to have to pay rent. We're going to have to buy groceries. we just eat them. That is a good deal, huh? You just eat them. No, you just have to clean your room. Whatever. And my mom was such a tyrant. She made us do dishes. Every kid had a dish night. I hate Monday nights. It's a, even to, I'm ruined for life every Monday night. That's why I love paper plates and throwaway. I love that stuff because you know what? Especially on Monday night, <coughs> she made us all wash laundry. Can you? Wasn't she awful? She made us wash laundry. She made us do all that stuff. Iron. We, now back in those days, you had the iron included in had permanent press. She made us iron. Now, I could never get sewing the buttons down, so that was tough luck. I had to go around without buttons or get her to do it. At any rate, we would say we don't do bad telephone to do, but then when we're out on our own, it's different. Listen, we get away from God, whether it's the fool or you and I, even as a saved person. We are being foolish if we think I don't want God to tell me what to do. I know what the Bible says, but I don't want God. God tells us what to do through His Word. You know what? God will let you do your own thing, just like your mom. And then you'll be going, Oh, can I move back home? Or can I come over for supper? Would you wash my clothes? Or, any, or can I borrow the car? Can you lend me some? No, can you give me some money? <coughs> And God will let you, like a dog at a leash, he'll let you go. But you're going to have sorry for it. So is the fool. So the fool is angry at God whose existence he denies. A foolish person says there's no God. We use the word today atheist. A means without the prefix. A Without God, atheist. Without God, there is no God. Okay, you're an atheist, or you say you are. But two things can always be said about an atheist. One, he says there's no God, and two, he hates him. Let that one sink in. The depravity of the fool we've already read in the first couple of verses is they are corrupt, doers of abominable iniquities and altogether filthy. Go back and read Romans chapter one and, ver- and verses in the last part of the chapter of Romans one. It says, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. And you go back, I'm not going to, that's not the message. to so you go back and read that stuff. It's a lot of stuff we're having today in our own country. No God? Okay, throw him out of the school, throw him out of everything. Okay, look what you got. It's, you reap what you sow. You're going to plant tomatoes pretty soon, right? No, I buy the plants, I cheat. I'm not, I'm not buying seeds and putting them into the egg cartons. I ain't doing that stuff. If you want to, more power to you. I'm going to Walmart, buying them already, this big. Guess what I hope to have in tomatoes, tomato plants? Tomatoes. I'm going to reap what I sow. You plant tomatoes, you get tomatoes. Yeah, hopefully. If not, I'll come to your house and check your tomato plants. (laughs) The dreadfuls have seen in verse 5, The fear deep in their hearts when they say there is nothing to fear but how many wicked men and women and even fools when it comes to the end of their life. Well, then they start thinking about God. It's funny. He didn't exist. Now all of a sudden he exists. All of a sudden, uh, can I call the church and have him pray for me? The answer is always yes. Isn't it funny? I have nothing to do with the church because it's got to do with God, but I'm ready to die. Can somebody help me? Well, yes, we can, of course. Jesus would, we would. But it's kind of interesting. It's God's kind of like a spare tire, so to speak. That's the foolish man. Even though there's nothing to fear except death when you get down to it. Now, I don't think are ready, ready to go today. And I hope nobody does. But it's scary when you think you're going to die. And some of you have had that experience. You've been sick in the hospital and you think, I ain't going to make it. Now, to the Christian, God helps us, but still, it's still scary. Nobody wants to die. Nobody's going to volunteer. Anybody volunteer to to die today? I don't think so. I'm not raising my hand. I'm just an effort. The deliverance from fools is seen in verse 6 in the prayer for God to restore the, the righteous. Now, the second lesson is a little bit harder, so if you will follow with me, I'll try my best to. As Lucy said to Ricky and no Ricky said to Lucy. Explain it. I'll try to explain it. That is the I Love Lucy show which is from the 50s. Interesting, the husband and wife have slept in different beds on TV. I'm not going there anyway. You know what I'm talking about. So I wasn't born I wasn't born in, when the show first started but I saw the reruns. <clears throat> The second lesson I think we learned from these two psalms is a lesson about inspiration. We all have been inspired to do things, but we're talking about God's word. This is not just a book you buy at the bookstore. You can buy it at the bookstore. By the way, you can buy it at Ollie's. I bought this Bible at Ollie's in North Canton. I think it was like eight bucks or something. It's large print. It's half-decent. So you can buy a Bible, you can buy them at the dollar store for a dollar. But the Bible is inspired far different than any other writer. We would think of some famous writers, you know, like Robert Louis Stevenson, David Thoreau, Walden's Pond, some of these classic classic books. We would say they were inspired to write this. This is a whole different inspiration. It's inspired of God. Now, some writer may say, well, God inspired me to write this book. I wouldn't deny that. But not like this This whole book, every writer is inspired by God to write what they write. So we have it today. So it's a lesson about inspiration. There's actually two types of foolishness exposed in these two psalms. One is the foolishness of saying or denying there is a God. The second one is trying to correct the scriptures. Trying to correct the scriptures. So let me explain. If you'll notice, there are two words italicized in Psalm 53, verse 1, and Psalm 14. These two words are there is. What does italicize, what does that mean, italicized words? It means that the men who God used to preserve the Bible within the King James Bible, that, that just shows us those words were put in by them. It wasn't for clarification. I think it was for amplification. So, And I would believe that God led those men and God preserved his words, so we have it. But think with me for just a minute. Many believe these two words, there is in Psalm fourteen one and Psalm 53.1, were not in the original manuscripts, which they weren't, but they can be taken out without doing any harm to the text. Now, follow with me for just a minute. In fact, if you buy commentaries, commentaries are good to a point. But you know what? The commentators are just commentators. Even Pastor Rice said recently, I think last Sunday, when they come to a verse that's hard or hard to understand, they skip over it. That's the ones I'm worried about. I'm not worried about the God so loved the world. Well, I got that one. I'm worried about the hard verses. That's why I'm trying to borrow. Someone said, if you don't have brains, borrow them. I'm trying to borrow their brains, but obviously they don't have any on that verse. You follow me? I've got commentaries, and it's really weird. I'm not gonna name any of the verses, but it's really weird how they skip over them. I said, okay, I'll make up my own commentary. What part of that is, I don't know why, but they do that. But some commentators and commentaries say that those words should not be there. There is, should not be there. They don't belong there, period. But if you take that out, here's what the verse says, "...the fool has said in his heart, no God." Now follow with me for just a moment. They believe that the true meaning of the verse is that a fool will say no to God. The fool is is not denying God's existence, only denying his authority. That's what they say. The problem is that's not what the verse says. And you don't need to be a Greek scholar or no Greek to be able to read the Bible. That's why God gave us an English one. By the way, it's English people's been given God's Bible, his word to the world and missions and so forth. God has greatly blessed the English Bible. That's a whole nother study. And it's been around since 1611, if I do my math right, I think that's about 360 years. That's a long time. Again, go back and read that verse and take those two words out. The fool does not say no to God. He says, no, there is no God. There's a difference. You see the difference? Now, we would all agree that a person that says there is no God is a fool. Now, let me add this practically. Don't go up to somebody like that old preacher. Of course, no, he was a little special anyway. Don't go up to somebody and call him a fool. That's considered kind of a mean thing to say to somebody. Now, if it comes up, you can use it, but make sure you use it from the Bible. Let God call them a fool, not you. Just like a sinner, we tell people they're sinners, they need to be saved. Be sure you include you, because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. And the Bible says we're sinners. I'm not saying we're sinners. The Bible says that I just experience it, and so do you. So be careful when you say things to people, because your goal is to win them to Christ. Yes, they're sinners by nature, by choice, because <clears throat> God says so. And include yourself. So a person says, says no to God as a fool. No, even you, if God wants you to do something, and I'm not the assistant Holy Spirit today, but if God wants you to do something, and you say, no, God, you're foolish. One Old Testament example. Remember a fellow named Jonah? God wanted him to do something. He wanted to go to the city of Nineveh and preach, and go back and read, it says, God said, preach my bidding. In other words, what I want them to hear, my message, and you know what he said? No. Now, I'm not God, guy, but I think God said, okay, buddy, you're in for a rough ride. Isn't that what he had? That had to be a very difficult experience in so many ways. I mean, he didn't have his cell phone. He couldn't text 911. I'd be texting 911. Get me out of here. I would imagine, even though I've never been in a will, it's probably dark in there. How can you see? And secondly, this is my own little thing. I think it probably stinks. Do you know if you were in your stomach, it would, it stinks. I think I'm gonna stop right there. So it had to be a horrifying and a horrible experience. Do you know why he had all that? Because he said no to God. He was God's man, he was a preacher, he was a prophet if you will. And God told him, go preach, I ain't gonna do it. All right, guess what? In the end, God did win out. So you know what? You and I, God's going to win out. And in the process, you become disobedient and you get yourself in a mess. You're better off just to say yes, Lord, or do like the, like the little boy when he's when the, when he at the temple with the prophet. And he thought the prophet called his name and he said, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. That's what we need to do. Lord, speak, a servant here. What do you want me to do? And then do it with his grace and with his help because he will help you to do it. So if we say no the God is a safe person, even as a lost person, the Bible says, God commandeth all men everywhere now to repent. Did you read that verse? It's in the New Testament. So when people don't repent, turn from their sin and receive Christ as Savior, they're disobeying God. God commandeth. The person says, I keep all the commandments. What about that one? What about the 11th one? That's my little two cents. What about the 11th commandment? They'll probably say, well, what's that one? If you really want to be mean, ask them to quote the ten. If you're in a bad mood that day, you say, well, could you quit the tent for me? Because they're going to go, how can you keep them if you don't know them? But don't be, a, don't be a, a rude. We've we got enough rude people. But you can't go to the 11th commandment. God commendeth. Well, I stole that from Ronald Reagan. He said, don't criticize another Republican. That's the 11th commandment. That's not Bible. That's Ronald Reagan. God commendeth all men ever and now to repent. So have you done that, sir, ma'am, Jim, Jim, whatever your name is, Jim, Jill, Bob? If you haven't done that, you haven't obeyed that commitment. <clears throat> but I think that's secondary to this statement. Sure, there's you know, in the Bible, there's so many ways to apply it. There's historical application. We're doing that a little bit today. David actually lived in history, and he actually wrote this down. And we have it. God's preserved it, so we can read it today and learn from it. So God must have thought it was important. He must have thought, Psalm 53 and 14, we need that emphasis today in 2021, in my opinion. And so there's historical application. There's a practical application. At the very end, I'm going to give us a very practical application to all this. But there are so many applications to the Bible. But the primary application is not if you say no to God, you're in trouble. That would be more applicable to Jonah. Even though he was a man of history and he lived, the statement is the fourth said in his heart, There is no God. That's the pri- What's that mean? What's that? that what is the point to that? <clears throat> now, I have no qualms with making a devotional application to the Psalms, these two, but we must not do it at the expense of changing what the Scripture says. Do you know why people change what the Scriptures say? Because <clears throat> they don't like what it says. Isn't that hard? The big move, this is not the message, the big move to get new Bibles, they say, so you can understand better. All you gotta do is read it, you'll get it. When I was in school, I had classes and books that I didn't understand either. I didn't say, oh, teacher, I don't like the textbook, give me one I can understand. I never did that once. They said, here's the book, this is it. Period. you master this book, have a nice day. Didn't know what they said? They didn't say I'm going to change it so I can understand it better. The teacher is supposed to help you understand it. And we have a teacher. If you're saved, it's called the Holy Spirit who you're indwelt with. He will guide you into all truth. Thy word is truth. And so, at any rate, saying no to God is not the same as saying there is no God. Besides, I'm not real good on grammar, but I did take it in school and in college. And I don't know Hebrew grammar, but I know enough English grammar to know that taking the italics out of this verse renders it grammatically incorrect. If you're niggas teacher, go home and think about it. So the, do the italicites word this there is in to text? Well, the simple answer is yes, but a little research found the phrase there is appears 394 times in the King James Bible. Now, this is very interesting. Listen to this. In the whole entire Bible, the King James Bible, there are 394 times that the words appear in italics. Then, then in that study, the phrase, there is no God, is found 12 times in the Bible. And the words, there is, are always in italics. However, five of those instances, found in Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 45, are God speaking to himself. So if you insist that Psalm 53, one is the full saying, though, to God, then we have God speaking to himself. I don't think I can repeat that. I hope you got it. Which, that is foolish. God doesn't speak to himself. Now, you and I do. I love to watch people with red lights, don't you? You learn a lot of stuff. The Walmart parking lot and red lights, you learn a lot about people. Especially when they're in the car by themselves. I love to watch them. in the. I'm going. Now what's great is in the summertime they roll the window down. You can hear me going. I'm thinking, who's this guy talking to? Now if he's got the radio on, he might be thinking he's singing. And usually people who sing in the car, nobody's in here, cannot sing. Ain't it the truth? That's probably why they do it in the car. Because the wife would say, be quiet, you can't sing. Or the kids would say, dad, you're awful, don't sing. (laughs) So... At any rate, you learn a lot. You learn a lot if you do that. So, God does not talk to himself. We talk to ourselves because we get intelligent answers and no back talk. But God doesn't talk to himself. And I say that reverently and respectfully God is God, He's not talking to Himself. So, that, that kind of helps out a little bit. <clears throat> Finally, you can always trust the Bible in defending itself against such cheap attacks, against its every word inspiration. Again, in Psalm 14 and in Psalm 53, again, you'll notice, if you look at it again, or you can write this down, notice there is a second italicized there is in these chapters, in both of them. And it says this in verse 1 of 14, chapter 14. Psalm 14. There is none that doeth good in the last part of verse one, and the last part of, in chapter fifty-three, in verse one, the last part of the verse, same thing. There is none that doeth good, and also in verse three of chapter fifty-three, Psalm. It's something very interesting. That statement is quoted by the apostle Paul in Romans chapter three and verse twelve. Let me read it for us. Romans chapter three and verse twelve. Here's the apostle Paul. He kind of lived a little bit after, after David. They're all gone out of the way. They are all together becoming profitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now, without looking at the verse and understanding that italicized words were added by the translators and were not part of the original manuscripts, and knowing Paul came way before the translators, that was in 1611, Follow with me for just a minute, please. You would, would you guess that that Paul included the italicized words or not? Of course, he would not include them if they were not added by the translators. But he does add them, and they're not italicized in Romans chapter three, verse twelve. Look at them; they're not italicized. They don't stick out. And after one hundred commentators tell you, "Oh, these words should not be in here," really, you should you should throw. Be careful what commentary do you use. Maybe throw them up. I heard one old preacher. He's, he's funny anyway. A different old preacher than the guy called the guy fool. He says, you know what? He says, the older I am, he says, I got rid of all my commentaries. He'd been preaching probably 50 years. Says, I got rid of all my commentaries. I got a, a strong, exhaustive concordance on the King James Bible. And that's it. I got rid of everything else. That was Roy Thompson. And he was kind of a wild man. But that's what he said. I got rid of all that junk. <clears throat> well, because when he really needed help, they couldn't help him. The rest of it he could figure out. If you've been preaching 50 years, you should know a couple things about the Bible. I would hope so. And he did. He was a great preacher and a great guy. If those words do not belong in the text, Psalms, the Bible itself quotes those words again in Paul's epistle because the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write those words. I hope you get it. Now, I know that's a little bit... I had to read it myself and study it several times to make sense. So the two lessons are, it's foolish to deny the existence of God. Now, if you would tell that to the average person in our country, they would say, oh, no. It doesn't matter. I don't believe it doesn't matter. Our money says in God We trust. How come that's on there? If you go to the old buildings across the country, the courthouses, different places, many of them have verses and have spiritual stuff on them. And they're in stone. I don't think they're reading it when they go in because a lot of it is biblical. Even in Providence, Rhode Island, I don't think those people were even reading that stuff. thinking, wow, it's really good stuff. And it's in stone. But they're evidently not paying attention to it. <clears throat> It's foolish to doubt the the existence of God and it's foolish to doubt the inspiration of every word in the King James in your Bible. Now, in the Greek, this is for fun, in the Greek they say, passe graphi theonoustos. Big whoop. <clears throat> that means, in, literally, the New Testament was mostly in Greek. It means every word of God is given by inspiration. And so... God has, it's like this, God has either preserved his word or he hasn't. Uh, here's a very practical application, I close with this. Here's a practical application. I encourage you, every preacher, Pastor Rice, we all encourage you to read your Bible every year. Now, when you're reading your Bible, if you say, well, you know what, I'm not sure if that word should be there, that verse should be there. You know what that does? It tears down your faith in the Bible. That's very practical. Practical. Now that doesn't mean I understand. I have many places in the Bible where I have a question mark. It means I don't understand it. That does not mean there's no understanding. It means Mark Jacobs at the time doesn't understand it. But also I've lived long enough to know that as time goes by, some of those questions, now I get them. I didn't 20 years ago. Are you with me? It doesn't mean the Bible's wrong. It means I can't get it. Or that commentary can't get it. Or maybe God doesn't want you to understand it at this time for his reason. But well, later on, you say, "I get it now, Lord." And so that's the practical application—not just from the Book of Psalms, but the entire Bible. So either, either it is God's word. In other words, you read when it's preached; it's preached with authority because it's here. When we read it, through read with authority. Otherwise, you're going to be questioning everything. I heard about a preacher that was in his church, and of course, he was so smart and scary. He knew Hebrew, Greek, and and a, and a couple of Italians. He would when he would preach, he would say stuff like, Well, that verse right really doesn't belong there. And so he had a man in this church would would cut out that verse. And so this went on for a while. And finally the, the guy went to the preacher and said, Preacher said, My bubble's full of holes. And the preacher said, Why? He said, Because every time you say that verse doesn't belong there, I cut it out. So what good's the Bible? I mean, what good's it if it's not God's word? isn't prepared. What good is it today? I mean, I'm not trying to be rude. What practical good is this book if when you read it? And God speaks to your heart. He does if you read it, He comforts your heart. Yes, we need understanding, but there's more value to the Bible than just Bible knowledge and understanding. Sometimes we need comfort. You ever read that verse as the comfort of the Scriptures? Boy, just read it. It's better than medicine. Now, I'm not saying throw your medicine out, but sometimes it's as good or better than medicine. How many times I said, Ooh. and you know, one of the best places to get medicine is in Psalms. That's not the only place, it's a good place. So, anyway, I trust you really think on that, and that'll help you a little bit. Say, let's stand, please, for just a moment with our heads bowed, nice, closed. We'll just have a verse invitation. Maybe God's spoken to your heart. Maybe God's challenged you. Maybe God's challenged you to read His Word, and could I say kindly, to believe His Word. Father, I pray you speak to all of our hearts this morning. Bless every person in our class today. Help our minds and our hearts to not be foolish. Help us to listen to you, obey you, believe in you. Help us to believe your word. Help us to follow your word. Give faith and encourage and bolster people's faith today in your word. Speak to that one who may need Christ as Savior. They need to repent and trust Christ as their Savior. Not this church, but the God that's preached, the Jesus who died, we pray in his name. With their heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, as we play the song of invitation, maybe God's spoken to your heart, maybe you need to trust him as your personal savior today. That is not the same as joining the church, that's not the same as being baptized, it's making a decision to receive him as your personal, it's a conscious, heartfelt decision. By the way, you'll never understand the Bible if you don't make that decision. Well wait just a moment. Maybe as a Christian, you need to recommit yourself to reading this book every day. Let it speak to your heart. Let it lead you to all truth and lead you to follow him while we wait just a moment. Maybe you need to trust him today.